Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now. And I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Bryant. Recently, the four Walzer dealerships in Burnsville, Walzer Subaru, Walzer Honda, Walzer Nissan, and Walzer Mazda encountered a hailstorm. A justice flew in from around the U.S. to handle a claim on what will be over 2,500 new and used cars. They've drastically reduced the pricing on these vehicles, and there are some wonderful bargains available. But here's the deal. I normally hate the hurry-these-won't-last style of marketing, but in this case, it is true. It's not like they'll go into the back lot at night with hammers and make more. I also usually tell people to check them out online, but in the case of slightly damaged cars, you really do have to see them for yourselves. Stop out to Walzer Mazda, Nissan, Honda, and Subaru just south of the Burnsville Mall on Buck Hill Road. If you really want to, you can tell them Tom sent you, but that sounds kind of dumb. We're back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Dave Schrader sitting in. I'll be with you for the rest of the week. So today's Halloween. We're talking about uh, real ghost stories, some of the most famous stories in cinematic history with the Amityville Horror, the Haunted. Uh, We just talked about the uh, haunting in Connecticut. Next uh, segment, I think, uh, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Andrea Perrin. Uh, Her family was the focus of the movie The Conjuring, which, I don't know, I'll talk to you guys about horror movies, but in my opinion, over the last 20 years, that's probably one of the best horror movies true horror movies to come out because it was a good psychological thriller it wasn't a slash and dash it was an actual horror flick um do you guys like and i'm just curious what you guys are all feeling on this do you like the more like the freddy kruegery slash and dash movies or do you like a good oh, i'm sorry hack and dash would that be a better one to call <laughs> yeah, it yeah. throw throw some yeah this is my way what uh what do you think are, do you like these kind of horror movies what type are your favorite ralph what do you like hey, okay when i was when i was four five Maybe six. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my 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 sister took me to the uh, the uh, John Hancock or the not the John Hancock. What am I thinking? I'm all th- no. You got me all thrown off. You got me thrown. I went to see Psycho. 
Right. Yes. Alfred Hitchcock movie. And I saw that, and it messed me up so bad. <laughs> uh, truly, it messed yeah. me up so bad. I cannot even. I cannot even come close to a horror movie. Zero, I'll go to the monster movies. I'll go to Godzilla. Right. I do Godzilla. I'll do King Kong movies. But when it comes to horror movies, where stuff's jumping out at you and you know pieces come off and there's blood and there's all that, you know, it just but that even the psychological piece is just too much for me. How it's about just, Silence of the Lambs? Is that oh, something I, that I you didn't could even come anywhere near it? Nothing. No. Really? Oh, good lord. We well, see. But the other part of this is that when you've seen how bad when someone is hurt badly, right. And you see just how graphic it is when you've got your hands in it. You're like, ugh. Yeah, you've got a unique oh, perspective yeah. on this. I don't know if I really want to see this. Yeah. And, I, and my wife said, oh, let's go, see, let's go see a sad movie. I said, yeah. look, my life, you know, the, the patients that you see many times have tragic stories in a variety of ways. I do not need any more emotion. I don't need <laughs> more, more emotion. So I just I can't go to it because too, it's too close to felt life. So I'm not that I'm not the big horror movie fan. Andy, I know your your dad and your sister and mom seem to like horror movies. I never really hear you step up on it. Do you like scary flicks? Mm, not really. No. What about it? Is it just because it's so out in left field, or it just I've just never appeal? really uh, cared that much about them. How about going into like the sci-fi genre, looking at like movies like Alien and Predators? Mm-hmm. That tends to be better. That's a better fit for it. Yeah. Now, would you look at the first Alien movie as a horror movie? Oh, yeah, stuff jumping out so. at you, as opposed yeah. to sci-fi. Yeah, right. I, I and I love the second Alien movie. Um, yeah, Aliens is l- definitely less horror because action, they, they yeah. tend to start you know killing the aliens, whereas in the first one, it's depicted as basically <laughs> something you can't kill. So it's right. Yeah, but, it's basically no different from any other but, you know ghost or demon or whatever. But it's even worse because it's an, it's something you can't kill that'll infect you. Yeah, right. yeah, that's true. They do do that, don't they? I think that's what was so effective about the movie The Thing. Did you yeah. uh, Did you ever get a chance to <laughs> see that at with all? Steve McQueen. Which no, one was that? That's the Blob. Thing? I'm sorry. Thank the you. Thing. <laughs> the Thing was the one that's with the Kurt Russell. Yeah, where they're up in the Arctic region and they were drilling oh, yeah, and they found yeah. that something is like moving from person to person like a host uh-huh. and it's it's turning them into these monsters. I always confuse the Thing with Thing. From the Adams family. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Andy, I do that all the time. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. I can see that. The uh, that to me was a good one. I didn't understand the. They just released the thing a few years ago back to the theaters, and it was a new movie, but it was actually a prequel to the John Carpenter's thing, which I didn't get it's until just you two see hours the end of, of it. Arctic drilling. Yes, Arctic. Well, that and that the the this had been there before and had attacked the group before this group got in there so oh, yeah, i didn't go. understand 2011 yeah why they felt the need to just tell the exact same story and then lead it i thought okay this is a reboot they're giving us an updated version but it ties into the end of it ends with just before kurt russell's group arrives from the classic thing from i think that was like uh, 78 or 80 yeah because so. cla- i remember seeing that one yeah yeah where the monster kills everybody it doesn't possess everybody though no, it just well, it kind of works its way through, but it's in everybody, <clears throat> and it, it breeds this kind of uh, like that Twilight Zone story. What is it? The monsters on Maple Street, where everybody starts pointing the finger at each other, and they're. Oh yeah. It's yeah. more about the psychological aspect of how would you react in these environments, and uh, I don't know. What about you, Candace? Are you a horror movie fan? I kind of like the '90s nostalgia movies, like Scream. Okay. And uh, I know what you did last summer. Some of those, I think, those are more fun. They're more entertaining. Um, didn't they start to run 
a little dry for you after a while. Well, yeah, but now watching them, because like, yeah, they scared the crap out of me when I was little. Like, I was terrified. But now watching them, it's kind of, like, fun and, I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought that when they stepped up and they started knocking out the the movies like Scream, I thought Wes Craven really locked into a goldmine with that. Because that was yeah. something fun and it was taking what we knew from horror movie genres and turning it just subtly. And then mm-hmm. opening up a whole new way to look at these stories. Yeah, and also having Scary Movie and Scary Movie 2 make fun of those movies was really fun to like have both parallels to it. See, that was... I never... I, I don't like like the scary movie oh, ones. I love those movies. And I grew up with Airplane. And I love those kind of spoof movies yeah. of, of tragedy movies. But the when I, Scream was already kind of a parody of right. horror movies. And then yeah. they made a parody of the parody. <laughs> and I just felt like they were kind of... Mm, are we really that dry that we just have to <laughs> knock off the horror movie that came out the year before? And, it's so good, though. you got to give another chance. No, I, I... Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Life's too short, Candace. I do not have to do that at all. Uh, Cass, oh. do you like horror movies? Um... Well, I'm. I like the psychological thrillers, um, like Silence of the Lambs, those kind of movies. When it comes to slasher movies, uh, to me, it's almost like the Freddy Krueger movies were laughable for me. I didn't find them scary at all, oh. even well, as a child. Freddy Krueger supposed to be uh. relatively funny it just, because it, yeah, he's, yeah. He probably, he's just such a jackass about it. Yeah, yeah, well, probably out of that type of genre of horror, I think Friday the 13th ones were the best. I love the Jason ones. Um, Why? Because he was the strong, silent type? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we together? Why are we together? Yeah, I see, I what I love about... When you look at Wes Craven's take on it, and a lot of people don't know this, he based that movie on on reality. It was the late 70s, early 80s. Over 100 Asian men died. And, Ralph, I don't know if you've heard of this. They called it at the time. I think it was like the Asian man disease. Uh, It was just killing Asian guys that would be perfectly healthy, young guys, and then they would just die in their sleep. And it wasn't... Just one or two. The epidemic spread to, I think it was over 120 deaths. What? Right. And and over this period of time that they could never crack what was causing this to go on. So it was in the news. And if you look them up on Google, you'll find the real stories behind that that idea that launched uh, Wes Craven and, and Nightmare on Elm Street. I think he got the title, if I remember correctly, from the Kennedy assassination. Would that be Sods? Yep, it is. Yeah. Be, that, that, that experience with the, the death, would that be sods? What is sods? Sudden, sudden arrhythmic death syndrome. No, no, no sudden, sudden oriental death syndrome. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or sads. It could be sads, too. Yes, could be. Well, sads uh, is the real thing. Yeah. Yeah, sudden arrhythmic death syndrome. It's 1977 among... Uh, oh, I thought it was sudden Asian death syndrome. Among, well, there's that too. <laughs> you send your hate mail to Ralph Basham at <laughs> thehackmaster.com. Well, what's that? What's this? Asians, Asians. You said they were Asian know, men. 1977, it's, uh, it was in Hmong refugees in the U.S. But then it, can, it happened again in Singapore in 1982. Right. Right. And there was no answer to really what was causing it at the time. They were Doctors were baffled. Everybody was baffled. So he... He kind of spawned the idea of this creature that would go after people mm-hmm. in their dreams. I, I I think it may be more like uh, you know, dying from a broken heart. You know, if they had emigrated and did not fit in, and George sort of had felt so foreign that this was this was a way for them to just sort of. Escape. But only men, and all young in their prime and healthy. Yeah, well, those would seem to me to be the least affected. Well, they may have, they may have been affected the most 
with regards to uh, the cultural change and the cultural shift that they had to deal with when they left their community, the farming community in the hills, going to someplace like Singapore or Minneapolis, this urban community, it just, you know, their machismo was lost. I mean, there's a million things that change and huge pressures. I don't know. Death by broken heart. Is that a real thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's a, there's a, that's something that where a, a, a spouse, when their or their spouse dies, will die shortly thereafter just from their heart, just sort of like. Yeah, they'll just up. stop uh, having the will to live. And you yeah, kind of need the will to live to live, it turns out. <laughs> there is that. That's an <laughs> yeah. important aspect of life. Uh, yeah, I, I, that was that was a fascinating aspect to that story. See, and I, I took the feeling I really loved the very first Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. because it wasn't the snarky, goofy guy that freddy krueger turned into mm-hmm. calling everyone bitch all the time right so i i like the first one because it was and i saw that one in black and white the first time on my buddy's parents tv mm-hmm. we had to sneak up and watch that while they were watching something else and that creeped me out in black and white and then they did the final movie which was i think west craven's new nightmare or final nightmare whatever it came out to be and those are a great bookend series and i love the fact that they kind of uh, with that last movie, the whole idea was that this ancient demon that's always existed really kind of became fond of this Freddy Krueger character. And when they stopped making the movies, it irritated this this being. So it starts stalking the stars from the original Nightmare on Elm Street mm. movie. And it's going after Wes Craven, and it's going after uh, Heather Langenkamp, and even Robert Englund. And they're all having these dreams and, and visitations. And Freddy is a dark force of evil again in the movie. So I thought that was a great bookend series. The rest of them... Yeah, I was just waiting for Freddy to go to space because that seemed to be the uh, Freddy. <laughs> that was the way to go. They even had Leprechaun go to space. Did you know that? Oh no. Well, I, being a sci-fi nerd myself, though, I, I did enjoy Jason X when they sent him Jason to. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. such a clever, stupid movie, Super right? Super weird. Yeah, well, the, you might like this. That they my both my my kids, Josh and Ashley, say that the most disturbing and scary movie that they ever saw when they were children was Dune. David Lynch's Dune. Really? Sting. Yeah. And if you look at it, it is a scary, really disturbed movie. I just thought it was horribly acted, so that's what frightened me the most. Oh, and when you're a kid, it's different. It yeah. is different. When yeah. you saw, oh, you saw that. And they, and they veiled the pedophilia piece uh, with uh, uh, the, the one, the one uh, character, the Har- uh, Harkonnens. Uh, uh, the, what was it? Baron, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Was that, that's it. He, was, he was a pedophile. And he and he ha- and they veiled it, and it was a disturbing thing. It was really bizarre. I saw that movie once when it came out, and I never saw it again. I just couldn't get into it. I couldn't understand why people were so. It's like Blade Runner to me. And I know I might be sacrilegious by saying that. Everybody loves the original Blade Runner. I just don't get it. Why am I here? Let's show your ink. Come on, let's get your ink out. Uh, have you got the Daryl Hannah tattoo on your uh, splashback? Oh, God, no. No, no. no. You, <laughs> oh, you've got Decker back Sean there? Sean Young. Oh, Sean Young. You yeah, see, I forgot she was in that movie. Oh, see? Yeah. See, look how quickly uh, we forget. That's all right, though. Yeah, I'm Sean, comfortable with that. Sean Young, boy, she was such a looker. I mean, I. sorry, Lindsay, but man, she was a <laughs> Back before she was Sean Old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you? Uh, you? You're a sci-fi guy, Andy. Do you like? Did you see the original Blade Runner? Uh, I actually did, like two years ago, for the first time. Oh, which yeah? version? The original or the director's cut? Which the was one even that more laborious. Didn't have that cheesy, horrible narrator. That's the director's cut. Okay, I did yeah. not see that one because okay. yeah, I heard that that was. It's it, he's literally just narrating the entire thing just constantly, and it's like it did not age well. No, this so is- the original actually aged better. Um, but it's still, it was 
kind of like I couldn't tell what was going on half the time because it was either too dark or just stuff seemed to happen for no real reason. Uh, but other than that, you know, it was. I think it would have been better if it was, you know, I had seen it in the theaters before right. I was born. Um, and the sets were like, it was all new technology. It's like Star Wars. Right. You don't watch the original Star Wars for the CGI because it looks horrible now. But, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but, cause, but back then, it was so uh, oh, impressive that... Bleeding edge. Yeah. It was ble- I remember seeing it. We, my, uh, my wife at the time took me to see, uh, oh, it was some southern movie. It was, uh, I forget what that was, some, some uh, Nashville. I went to see Nashville. And, oh, God, what a tor- terrible movie. Just all this sort of emotion. It was just terrible. But <laughs> all this emotion. Im- important thing about it, they show it was six months before Star Wars to come out, and they showed the preview to Star Wars. Mm. And I w- and I looked at that and I go, "Where has this movie been my whole yeah. life?" And I can't tell you how many times I've seen the first episode of Star Wars. Do you feel the first episode holds up? Oh sure. Oh, sure. So I took my it's kids it's to it's see it when they brought it back to the theaters, and it just didn't capture their attention. It was they were just kind of like, eh. But I mean, we've we've got a you know bigger scope, better CGI, better oh, yeah. stuff now. So I don't know if that's what kind of held the kids off from really enjoying I it. But really, so. it is about kind of a whiny teenage boy. Well, yeah, Luke <laughs> is a real loser yeah, in the and, first one. Yeah, and it ends, it ends up being it's a, it's, a, it's a cowboys. Well, I should say cowboys and First Nation. Movie. It's a space western. Yeah, it's a space western. It's what it's a good guys, bad guys kind of thing. And um, I don't know. It yeah, I think this it's a, a cheapo story, and you can't. Criticize it too much, like a Godzilla movie. You can't. Yeah, gotta I accept mean, it for, on on the face value of it just being King Kong movie. Right. You know, it's it's there's nothing to it. When we come back, let's talk about the popularity of series like The Walking Dead. What do you guys think of that, and why is it still so popular? We'll talk about that and more when we return to the Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? <laughs> Real nice. Chuck Knobloch. <laughs> Chuck Knobloch. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today 
or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Some Halloween. Now you're talking. See, this was a movie that scared the hell out of me. Yeah, Mike, me yeah. too. This yeah. movie was so well, the first one? Yeah. His name was Leatherface? No, no Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. Michael yeah. Myers. That first yes. one. The not first Mike, one. Not Mike Myers. No, Mike no, Myers. He's scary all on his own. The love guru. No. Well, one of the most terrifying don't, don't bring it up. Ever. It's too scary. Well, I just love the fact how it was a William Shatner mask. It was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what about Pinhead? Yes. From Hellraiser? Hellraiser. I should get him on the phone. We're Hellraiser, buddies. I didn't really care for that I started the first that, half and i was like nothing's happening that started the uh the kind of gore porn yes it sure that uh, was the first of the gore porn horror movies i, I think i mean you, you were getting hacked and dashed in all the you know friday 13th halloween but it was and, mostly uh, off camera and obviously exaggerated they right. had like these squibs that you know exploded blood everywhere and it was supposed to be unrealistic right but the hellraiser series kind of amped it up to a whole new level yep uh hey i'm curious what they're going to do with this you know there's a new halloween movie coming out hmm. and, oh, yeah. and it's uh halloween danny h3o no danny mcbride's <laughs> behind it along with another producer and they're they're trying to tell us that basically every movie after halloween 2 did not exist now that's a retcon so it's yeah it's kind of Taking over, and, and Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, is back in her original role, who they killed off three movies ago in the original series. So she's in it? Yes, sure. she'll be back as Laurie Strode. Cool. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to, I mean, they've, they've now messed with this series three uh. times in time zones, trying to figure out where the new stories start and pick up, and then, then you had that travesty that was the Rob Zombie versions. Yeah. <sighs> Let's go back to the, the, this dismemberment and personal, my personal experience with dismemberment. Yes. Okay. Are you about to are you about to admit something I should have so, so, the law to? So I, I'm I'm a resident. I'm on the hand surgery service at Northwestern University. Mm-hmm. And on the hand surgery service you were respons- you were responsible for putting things back together or putting things back on. So if someone cuts their finger off, you're responsible or to, uh, you were responsible to put it back on. It's not easy. So I I'm 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 like done with my responsibilities the whole day. I roll into the operating room and just to make sure there was nothing going on. They, I said, I asked one of the nurses. I says, um, well, "What's going on?" She says, "Well, do you want the good news or the bad news?" And I said, "Well, give me the good news." I said, "Well, your attending has uh, is in the operating room has started an operation." <laughs> and I said, "Yes." <laughs> she says, "What's the bad news?" She says, "Well." The patient is still downstairs. He had started the surgery preparing the fingers, the five fingers that had been cut off, uh-huh. to be put back on. He was prepping them. The patient was still downstairs. They hadn't brought him up yet. So my night was gone, went from not having anything to do at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to leaving at 3 a.m. Wow. Yuck. That's, yeah. so, so, so you see, there you go. So I'm glad I, there are people like you that do that job because that's definitely – I would rather mop floors at a uh, – an adult right. bookstore than do that kind of job, Ralph. That's so when you have, because obviously the last finger is going to be bad by the time you've like fully restored four of them. So I assume what you do is you restore blood flow, then yeah. go through the nerve. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You you want to, you want to what you do is you uh, put in uh, a cup of milk. You you, know, you, uh, <laughs> yum, you, yum. you go through. You know you keep them if you keep them chilled. Yeah. Really, they hold they hold for 12, 12 hours or so, or you know a certain period of time. 
And then what you do is that you uh, fix the bone, then you try to get blood flow. Yep, bloods, yeah. Once important. you get blood flow, then you can fiddle with the rest of the stuff. Once you get blood flow back to the fingers where they're nourished. And mm-hmm. it's great that they've act- they actually use medical leeches now in reattachment surgery, right? To, to oh, help, sometimes. help if, to create that if, blood flow and keep it moving. If the if the vein isn't working well, then you put a leech on to drain some of the blood out. Yeah, that's what they do that for. Right, to cycle it, right? Yeah, to go one way. Just to suck it out, get it, get it out of there so it doesn't become too congested or too swollen. Yeah. How does one cut off all five fingers? Oh, bandsaw. A, a, a bandsaw. I mean, like, punch, curving it after punch you press. hit the first one. You punch think press. it's oh, punch okay. press is a good thing. Punch right. press is oh, a Okay, stay that away makes from sense. punch press. Right. You know, they get, they get somebody, and they were always in the afternoon. Someone's worked, a, you know, an eight-hour shift. Maybe yep. it was up late the night before. They're at the end of their shift. They're a little bit tired, you know, and they they try to get their last quota in. They're getting that last piece out. They hit the button and. <laughs> And it's, it's, it's that fast. And See, then, honey, now you know why I'm not a handyman. It's yeah. not because I'm lazy. <laughs> it's simply handy. because I just don't want to lose <laughs> fingers and digits. And that's why I don't. I don't ever use. I don't use power tools. I don't want to no. get the dingo out unless it's in the morning, not in the afternoon when you're done. That's not what you do. Well, talking about reattachment and that kind of weird stuff. Talking about the zombie genre. The the Walking Dead is this phenom that just doesn't seem to go away. Nah. <laughs> well, I, as a gamer, I got sick of zombies, you know, 15 years ago. What, after Resident <laughs> yeah. Evil the first? Or oh, what? no, they <laughs> added it into every first-person every, shooter, right. any game. Every game, yeah, seriously, every AAA game that's come out in the past 20 years okay, has had a zombie in it. How many How many zombies in a virtual experience have you killed, do you think? Oh. <laughs> I can't even... Well, eventually I just stopped like buying the games. I was like, I, it's the same thing. Did you start challenging yourself and tr- tr- just try to run around them without killing them? That's actually what people do, yeah, is when they play Resident Evil 1, uh, they don't kill any of them because it's a waste of time because it's like, you know, they're just kind of shuffling Are you one of those right-to-afterlifers, Andy? <laughs> well, technically, yeah, I <laughs> I do when I play a game, if there is the option to, like, not just kill everything in your path, which mm-hmm. more games are doing, obviously. I try to do that uh, just, well, for one, it's more difficult, mm-hmm. so it's more interesting. And then for two, it's like you never know when a game's going to be like at the end, oh, we found a cure, but, well, you killed them all, so I guess they're not going to be being cured after all. See, what's driven me crazy as a fan of the Walking Dead series, and I'll, I'll continue to watch it. It's an adult soap opera is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, a creepier yeah. soap opera because you care more, you're more interested in the, the interactions between the humans than you are about the zombies. As a matter of fact, I think watching the zombies has become more of kind of the backstory for the entire show and watching the true inhumanity that we show one another in these dark moments. Mm-hmm. What, I, what irritates me is we're now like five, six, seven years into the zombie apocalypse and they're still fat people. Yeah, and I'm oh. not against fat people. I happen to be a fat people, but I'm just saying, how do you survive in the zombie apocalypse and still be fat? Yeah, where are you six years the food? in, right? That's the guy you got to start following home at night, right? Yeah, he's got something. He's got something <laughs> going. But then, how? Oh my God, it drives me crazy. How do you? Most of this show takes place in wooded areas. How does anyone get surprised <laughs> six years into the zombie apocalypse? How do you not hear the yeah. Uh, yeah. or crunching yeah, of leaves? <laughs> How are people getting surprised and bitten by slow-moving, roaming zombies in the woods? How do you not hear them coming mm-hmm. up? It's not like these guys are walking around with earbuds in and they're they're distracted. They're they're getting bit left and right. So to me, that's ridiculous. And then Ralph, as do you watch any of the zombie programs? Oh, no, at all? not at all. It's just like the movies, like the games. I saw I saw I, saw, I can't even start these because it would be so. I, I just couldn't even start them. What what drives me crazy is 
there will be five, six zombies that will knock you to the ground, and they will just grab your stomach and split you open like a ripe melon. <laughs> and the, these are dead bodies that are already falling yeah, apart, no, and they've got the strength to tear yeah, you apart. That's because zombies have super strength. Obviously, the most the, it makes more sense when it's like there's a force, you know, moving them like some supernatural. Yeah, thing. like a necromancer right. guy or something. Because yeah. in The Walking Dead, it's a virus, and yeah, if you're starting to like you know rot away, you're not going to be the strongest person on earth. Exactly. And how are they able to bite down with any kind of force? Mm. So I just said, my problem is you talked about it earlier. You got to have this suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And I can't in some of these cases. They drive yeah. me crazy because I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep watching The Walking Dead because I just want to see where the story goes. The walkers have become the least interesting aspect this of this is weird yeah. that would actually be an interesting twist is they do get so used to zombies that they're just like basically background noise well they, which like, is oh, what they one are. got yeah. on and one got into the farm or whatever just yeah. shoot it and go on with our they lives killed, like thousands of them but the point is like you you know you would never have one sneak up on you if you've been around for so long yeah. i've right. killed uh, with a screwdriver ten thousand <laughs> right well, it, it, like it took to last season before they just decided or maybe it wasn't last season it was Maybe the season before when when Carl takes a shot to the eye, and he brings the the kid in to be worked on by the doctor, and then and then Rick kind of snaps and goes out, and they just start laying waste to all the walkers that got in. Mm. And it's like about time. Why didn't why why are we so worried? They're slow moving. Keeps it interesting. You got twenty people with with knives and guns and swords. You should be able to wipe out an entire regiment. So I know I, I'm getting too worked up about yeah. a stupid show, but it just that's the part that drives me crazy. And I'm always surprised at just how fervent the fan base is to this, and that. You know, and then of course you got to look at who keeps mowing the lawns. That's the big. The or like, story. where do they get their hair gel? Yeah, because they all have like you know this perfect slick back, or like modern hairstyle hair. When they should all look like cavemen. Right. Andy and I will be the only two really prepared. That's true. Yeah. That. We know how to keep the, the tight gel. shave. Right. We're just we're good for the battle. Uh, do we have Andrea on the line? I believe so. Yes. Are we? How close yes, we are do. we up against the break? Uh, we got five minutes. Okay, why don't we we'll bring her in? As we're talking about horror movies, again, I said one of my favorite horror movies and psychological thrillers of the last decade easily had to be the Conjuring movie. And what was great is before the movie came out, I had I had been doing some research for our radio show, and I stumbled upon this book series uh, by our next guest, Andrea Perrin, and talked to her about this without realizing that this was the focus point of of the new Blumhouse film movie, the the Conjuring, and. What a fascinating lady. I've had great experience hanging out with her for the last five, six years here, and she's here to share a little bit of her insights and her real story with us. Andrea, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dave, always to spend time with you. Oh, you are so sweet. Let's. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, the Conjuring. First of all, what is your take? How did your family re- react to the final product of the movie as opposed to your real story? Well, my mother didn't watch it for about a year afterward because we told her. And we, we knew what she would find objectionable. Um, she thought that the whole idea of Ed doing an exorcism on his own was absurd, uh, which is what Lorraine said. Um, so, you know, she kind of let that go. as just She just dismissed that. Uh, her objection was that um, our family was depicted as somehow godless or not spiritual people are not rooted in you know, any foundation in religion and that's not true it was it was the opposite we were as catholic as the warren for um so she thought that that was a misrepresentation of our family and she had a few other issues 
and she thought that uh, how they dressed Lily Taylor was just awful. <laughs> you know, so you know, I, I give her that. She still has a great sense of style. Um, but uh, you know, there were. She also had to acknowledge that there were things uh, that were inexplicable uh, that were added into the Conjuring that no one having to do with that movie could have known about, including choosing the one wallpaper pattern out of more than 25,000 they had at their disposal, and they chose the one that we had inside the house when we first moved there. You know, that's just reason enough to go buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the the white cat uh, over the mantle board in uh, Shanley Caswell's bedroom, who played me in the movie, um, nobody associated with that film knew that I was uh, in possession of an, a duplication of that. I don't know if it was paint by number or what it was, or if it was just a mass-produced thing, but I still have it hanging in my mam cave to this very day, and it was given to me when we lived at the farm by my mother's best friend. Ralph, you I'm know, curious. They, Let me ask Ralph here real quickly. Ralph, I know you're not a big uh, believer in the supernatural. Not a big believer. Right. You're not a believer at all. If, Correct. Thank if, you so much. I thank, thank you. you you've heard now from three other guests that have dealt with haunted houses. Andrea's on. I'm just curious, as not a believer, if you started to have some of this activity take place in your house, right? As a non-believer, what would what would your role of action be? Would you? You just said you don't like horror movies. You don't like the scary stuff because it, it's too much, uh, you know, to deal with. What would you do if, if this was your situation? I, I would probably like. I think what I'd, I'd just dismiss it as something, uh, something in my imagination, or I would dismiss. I'd just dismiss it. I would just be dismissive of it and just forget about it. Hallucinations from Drugs. a gas leak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you just you just keep putting it up. And see, I think that's an important part because what a lot of people think is, well, you know, why didn't you get the hell out of these houses? Why wouldn't you leave them? But a lot of the fathers in in these stories that we've talked about were very strong men who this is my house, and you know, you guys are overreacting, and they're just willing to kind of dismiss it and walk away. That's right, and, and, I don't, and I don't mean, you see, and I don't know that I would be right in doing that, but it's, that's kind of, that would be my first, uh, my first thing. It says, oh, you're, if it would be my wife saying something, I'd say, well, you're nuts. We're staying here. Oh, what do you, you're, you're, that's why I would approach it. And You're quite the catch, Ralph. Yeah, quite I would the catch. Be, and it'd be, it'd be that, uh, so maybe that would be too much male machismo, American male machismo for everybody, but that's kind of what, kind of how I would approach it, and I'll be honest. Did I know we're coming up against a break here? Um, we'll talk with Andrea Perrin about the real story behind the Conjuring case, and uh, I, I want to know when we come back, what was it like for her father? Did he dismiss this readily? Was he willing to accept the supernatural in their home? And if so, how long did that take? They seem to have things begin from the minute they moved in until the minute they moved out of that home, and. If you believe some stories, this, the haunting has continued. Other versions, not so much, but the family still has experiences. We'll talk about that and more when we return. I'm Dave Schrader filling in for Tom Bernard on The Tom Bernard Show. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. 
We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Happy Halloween, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Tom Bernard Show. Today we're taking a look at real paranormal stories from the survivors of some of the most famous paranormal movies, Amityville Horror. We talked with Christopher Lutz. We talked with Karen Smurl from The Haunted, uh, the Smurl Ghost Story. We also talked with uh, Carmen Reed, who was the focal point of the movie The Haunting in Connecticut. And joining us now for the remainder of the show, Andrea Perrin, the daughter from The Conjuring. Uh, Did your dad see an was he open to the paranormal when you guys first moved in, or was he also dismissive of, of what everybody else claimed was going on? No, he was beyond dismissive. He was belligerent about it, because even though things were happening right, you know, in, in his face, he was still uh, just treating my mother and his five daughters as we were a pa- as if we were a pack of hysterical females. Now, you've met my father. Right. And it was not easy for Roger to admit that there were things that were inexplicable going on in that house. And it took him decades to admit that the reason why he was the way he was about that was because he was frightened. He was afraid. He had put his family into a place that he had no control over. And in order to keep that roof over our heads, he had to go off-site and work an inordinate amount of time. So he wasn't always there, and he figured we were just, you know, at a certain point, it was feeding the beast. And then he had some experiences of his own that he simply could not deny it anymore. Do you think and that he was? He was. Him too. Do you think he was doing it as a protective measure for himself? As long as I don't acknowledge it, it's not there. I don't yes. have to feel guilty about leaving my family alone in this paranormal environment. Yes, I think that's a very insightful thing to say. What about? And I have seen it over and over again in other situations like this. I, what I'm curious about is, I, for the most part, in your stories, the spirit was much kinder and gentler to you, your sisters, and your father. It, it seemed to point its aggression and irritation more towards your mom. Do you think that there might have been a supernatural influence over your father that led him to be more numb to this or refuse to acknowledge it because this spirit had an affection for him and didn't want to drive him out of the house? So she was maybe even mentally blocking the possibility of this taking place? 
Uh, she had a lot to do with, and it wasn't Bathsheba Sherman, by the way. The spirit that was after my mother was dead before Bathsheba was ever born. And when she did speak and my mother heard what she said, she used the dialect and was a brogue that um, it, it was, that usage of language was already uh, archaic in the 1800s. So it was uh, clearly not Bathsheba. That was Mrs. Warren saying that it was. But it, um, regardless, she did um, have a thing for my father. And yes, I think that that's um, a very uh, erudite, uh, insightful statement because uh, I think that there was something that could, he could just be knocked out. I I can't even explain it. I mean, there were two incidents in the first year that we were there where he was, my mother thought he was dead in the bed beside her. So he was no protection, no help whatsoever when she was having her encounters. Uh, And these apparitions, these entities um, were frightful, absolutely um, grotesque. And they were attacking, they were attacking her directly in the bed next to your father who wouldn't, who couldn't be roused from sleep. Right. And then when he right. would come around, he would just dismiss what her experience had been. What was the tipping point that made your father realize, oh, my God, there's something here. There's something violent affecting my wife. Well, it was uh, the night uh, at the chapter in my first book of the trilogy. It's called Kiss of Death. And this apparition came and hovered over her. And clearly her neck was broken. It was literally hanging, dangling off of the side of her shoulders. And her head looked like a desiccated hornet's nest covered with sprigs of hair and just wild, cobwebby looking thing. And uh, my mother said that it was so wretched, the smell was of, of beyond death. It was something that she had never experienced before. It actually caused her to retch as she was scrambling up uh, the headboard of the bed to get away from it as fast as she could and its arm came down on her pillow and actually left an impression. So it was at that time for those moments in some kind of solid form to have been able to uh, create uh, an actual change in the environment. Um, but what she did was grab a hold of my father's hair and jerk his head. He had long black hair and She just wrapped her fingers around in it and jerked him. And as she jerked him, the um, quilt came off of him and his back was gouged as if it had been serrated with a knife. And when he woke up after my mother turned and looked at that and gasped, and when she turned back, the apparition had disappeared. But she immediately got up and drew it and wrote about it and wrote about her experience. And when my father got up, He was in a great deal of pain, and my mother took him into the bathroom and showed him what had happened to his back, and as she was showing it to him, the scars disappeared as he looked in the mirror, and that's when he knew. I want to. I know we don't have a whole lot of time together, but one of the more chilling aspects of the story. I know in the movie they show your mother in full blown possession and tied to a chair in the basement with Ed Warren doing a an exorcism on them. But talk to me about the the moment and the decision uh, when the Warrens decided to do a séance in your house and how that impacted your family and your father specifically. Yes, uh, it was um, really the most atrocious, uh, most 
difficult moments of my entire life. I can tell you that. I never, ever want to go through another experience like it. Uh, and it's something um, Mrs. Warren, Mr. and Mrs. Warren came to the house. They had a priest. They had a medium. Uh, they had cinematographers and audio specialists, and they came uh, with an entourage. My father did not want them there. He did not expect that. Uh, it was my mother started his negative energy was swirling it was so bad it was pervasive in the household uh, and he was arguing with the priest and he was arguing with he didn't want the medium there he did not want this to happen it took Ed almost the better part of an hour uh, to talk him into it and to basically convince him that my mother was slipping away from us and that their intervention was required and at one point, Lorraine said, if you love your wife, you'll let us do this. My father was livid. He was, uh, I don't think I've ever seen him that angry in my life. Uh, we, were at, we were sent, we were dismissed out of the room. Four of the five of us were home of the children. Um, Nancy was the only one away from the house. Uh, no children should have been allowed in that house that night if they intended to do this. My mother went into what I can only describe as a catatonic state, and something entered her as the um, as the medium uh, conjured the spirits and committed what I consider to be spiritual malpractice by throwing open wide the doors to the netherworld and virtually inviting everyone in so that she could determine the culprit that was haunting our house. And my mother took a slam. And maybe she was the weakest link that night. Maybe she was the one most emotionally vulnerable. But whatever it was came into her and for a few moments spoke in a language that does not exist on this planet. It lifted the table and then slammed it back down on the floor. There are still four imprints from that uh, in that wood floor to this day. And no, then no, my the mother was lifted and thrown in a split second into the next room. We all heard her skull hit the floor. We all thought she died. It was awful, Dave. And your father was livid at what was going on there. Again, part of me wonders if it was spiritual attachment because they were trying to rid the house of this thing that had an affection for your father. Was that maybe what was also causing some of the agitation to your father? But he's also watching this happen. And when I had a chance to sit down with him and you at the Michigan Paracon, when he talked about the fact that during the seance, your mother's chair lifted off the ground and floated basically across the room towards him, he watched this thing happen, and then your mom was being tossed around. In the movie, there's this very loving relationship between your family and the Warrens. Uh, but one part that they left out, which I think is one of the most fascinating aspects, what happened between your father and Ed Warren when all of this was going down? Well, first my mother was floating, and then in a split second, David, I mean, faster than you can blink your eye, she went from being in the middle of one room into the middle of the other. And I've just never seen anything move at light speed like that. I mean, it was uh, like a matrix, altered dimension. I don't know what it was. I still don't know what it was. But uh, my father tried to get up and go to my mother. And Ed grabbed his arm and tried to stop him. And my father turned around and cold cocked the man and took him right to the floor and broke his nose. And then started screaming for everyone to get out of the house, to get out of the house. And when the cinematographers were told to go downstairs and quickly gather their equipment, 
um, Lorraine Warren told them to go gather their things, and when they came back up, they were sobbing. And all of their cameras, all their state-of-the-art uh, state equipment was in thousands of pieces all over the cellar, and no one was down there. They were just filming any activity that could potentially be happening during the seance, and they just left the house, didn't come back in, didn't try to salvage anything. There was nothing to salvage. Did they and try to the film the seance left. itself? Did, did they film no, the seance? Yes. Well, they tried to, um, but actually not uh, not actually filming it. I do not remember seeing anybody with a shoulder-held camera during that. I did see someone walking around the room with cameras, but my attention was fixated on my mother because her body was just wrapping up into a ball, and she was screaming, and this horrible noise came out of her that was not her voice. And, I mean, her body just warped to the extent that you would expect to hear her bones breaking. And it was that's where all my attention was. I know that I did see the priest over in the corner, and he was literally quaking. He was trembling. Uh, and the medium, Mary Pastorella, she passed out on the table. Um, and then, of course, when my mother went flying, Lorraine went running to her, and that's when all hell broke loose in our house. And that does not necessarily reflect well on the decisions that the Warrens made on our behalf. And so that's why it was not included in the film as it was. It was reworked to make them look as though they had stepped in and solved all of our problems. But How scary was it to be there and witness this, uh, Andrea? And and you've got the, the clergy shaking in his shoes. You've got the medium whose job it was to kind of be this go-between. She's passed out. And your mom is laying splayed out on the floor. Ed Warren's now got a busted nose. This had to just be complete anarchy in the house. And how did that make you guys feel that the the people that were supposed to be in power were quickly reduced to rubble? It was traumatizing. It was. And I'm not overstating that. That's not hyperbole. You know, you've read my books. One of my favorite lines is childhood trauma, the gift that keeps on giving. Right. <laughs> you know, this is something that never goes away. You, This is something that is seared into your memory. Uh, every smell, every... I can still see the, the flickering candles on the table and seeing everything suddenly blown out, just whoosh, gone. Everything, all the light was out. It was, uh, it was just... I never, ever again in my life want to go through anything like that and I thank God every single day that my mother has absolutely no memory of it. Andrea, we're up against the, the top of the hour. We've got to wrap up here. How can people find your books and more information on you and, and the real story of The Contrary? Uh, the real story is written in three books, a trilogy entitled House of Darkness, House of Light. Uh, you can get it for any e-reader, hardbound or soft cover uh, through Amazon or Amazon UK. Uh, and it is just it's just available pretty much everywhere. <laughs> so, uh, and people, I just ask people to just uh, come and visit me and follow me on Facebook. I'm everywhere. Omnipresent. Google my name. There I am. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your family story with us today. Recently, the four Walzer dealerships in Burnsville, Walzer Subaru, Walzer Honda, Walzer Nissan, and Walzer Mazda encountered a hailstorm. A justice flew in from around the U.S. to handle a claim on what will be over 2,500 new and used cars. They've drastically reduced the pricing on these vehicles, and there are some wonderful bargains available. But here's the deal. I normally hate the hurry-these-won't-last style of marketing, but in this case, it is true. It's not like they'll go into the back lot at night with hammers and make more. 
I also usually tell people to check them out online, but in the case of slightly damaged cars, you really do have to see them for yourselves. Stop out to Walzer Mazda, Nissan, Honda, and Subaru just south of the Burnsville Mall on Buck Hill Road. If you really want to, you can tell them Tom sent you, but that sounds kind of dumb. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Hello, Seattle. The people who know me best will not be surprised by what I'm about to tell you. I... I'm not a man who betrays his principles. I am not a man who misleads his listeners, and I am not a man who will shrink from a fight. Today I find myself in a fight over the content of my show, but rather than truckle to the forces of commercialism, I've decided to take a stand on principle, even if it means... I'm not on the air, am I? No. He put on the best of Crane. How much did I get out? Well, let's see. People who know me best will not be surprised. By what I'm about to tell you. I am not a man. <laughs> that's fantastic. I am not a man. I think that's wonderful. Mike Zone on the phone with us. How you doing, Mike? Good, good. How you guys doing? Everything is wonderful. Darkness Dave is with us. Dr. Basham, Mike Molina, Andy. We're all we're all gathered around. Now, do you and Dave know one another? I do, actually. Dave and I have known each other for uh, a couple of years now. Um, actually, I've, I used to do a lot of, well, I still do, a bunch of conventions, some paranormal, some you know, uh, Comic-Con type things. And Dave, of course, is really big in the uh, paranormal world. And, uh, well, we crossed paths years ago and known him ever since. Right, and he had a so, fantastic series on the Science Channel with Oddities, which I know, Tom, you were telling me you loved oh, that show and I never love, missed an episode. Oh, I loved Oddities. That's well, 100% you. Thank true. You very much. I, oh, I love the show Oddities. There's no question. And the guy, well, it's so unusual. What, who was that guy? <laughs> that's Edgar Oliver. He's um, Edgar that, Oliver. That, there you go. And that's him, by the way. That's not a put on. That's not a character. That's no. not a thing he does. <laughs> that is him 100%. He actually um, just recently did a commercial with Tom Brady for Beauty Rest Mattresses. It's a uh, national I remember he was a butler. Uh, yeah, he's like a hotel, and Tom Brady walks in the hotel, hotel and yeah. he's like, Mr. Brady, we've been expecting you, and you know, the whole thing, and <laughs> yeah, he's on that. Also, if you go to YouTube and type in 
uh, Edgar Oliver. There's a lot on him. A lot of spoken word, a lot of pieces he's done, interviews. He's you know, he's been around for quite a while, and uh, like I said, that's that's him a hundred percent. God, it's so he would come into your shop and find something that would just fascinate him, and he would get. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't be he wouldn't go over the top. It just it. I guess it's who he was. It just yeah, that's the I thing. never People thought. Often, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I never once thought that he was just overplaying his hand. I just thought, no, that's real. A hundred percent. He's he's like the nicest guy. I've known him for, oh, it's got to be at least 15 plus years now. And he's uh, he's originally from Savannah, Georgia. He's living in New York City since probably the 70s. And, you know, he's done spoken word stuff and, and all, his, and all his other work he's done and some commercial work. And when... Um, the, the producers of the show, you know, they were asked about our different customers, and I said, we have this one guy, he's amazing. He's Edgar Oliver, I said, he's, he's a playwright, he's a, an artist, I guess, so he does a whole bunch of stuff, I said, but, you know, I, I, what he's in here, we got to film with this guy, because he's amazing, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, and then when they saw him, they're like, holy cow, uh, <laughs> people are smitten with Edgar, people, I, he's probably the most asked about person, him and Laura, the model mortician, are the two most asked oh, yeah. by people from the TV show oddities. I got to be honest with you, I never missed your show once I discovered it. And I just happened upon it one night, and I don't know how many years ago the years ago that was, but once I started watching it, because I, you would go to people's houses and look at the things they had, and they'd bring them into your shop, and you were always very honest with them about I, well, I just loved it. I loved the show. Yeah. That's the whole thing about the show. Um, you know, when they came to us about doing a show, the producers who did the who put it together, I, I asked them. I said, "What kind of show are you guys talking about?" And they said, "Well, what do you mean?" And I said, "Look, I don't want drama. I don't want fighting, name calling, throwing things, blowing crap up." You know, I said, "That's not us." I said, "If you want to do it legit, we'll do a show with you guys. If you want to do nonsense, thank you, but no, thank you." And they were like, "No, no, this is for the Science Channel, and they want the science behind it." So even though it's the odd things you sell. We want to know why it has two heads, or why does it like this, or why? How did this become deformed, or you know? So it was interesting. We did uh, seventy-four episodes total. It ran over, I think, about six seasons or cycles, as they call them, and um, insanely popular. Apparently, it's in at least six languages that I know of. Uh, shown worldwide really? on on this. Yeah, it's uh, well, of course, English, but Spanish, French. Uh, Brazilian Portuguese, uh, Russian, and Chinese, uh, Mandarin Chinese. It, so, it, it is. That's it, which is that crazy because we don't get residuals on that stuff. All our residual is they show it in these countries. People come to New York City. They come to my store. Hopefully, buy something. That's that's my residual for for the show. <laughs> that's not a bad well, advertisement. Yeah, they do buy them. Yeah, it's not a yeah, bad yeah. advertisement exactly. I couldn't buy. Uh, you can't buy advertisement like that. It, I mean, the exposure because it did really well and incredibly popular. Uh, we were top rated on the the network. Um, we were supposed to film another season a while ago, but unfortunately, they had a major change of personnel at the network. Uh, the president of the network um, oh. left, and that basically killed it. The new person they brought in basically um, mothballed the, the the network. They they. Uh, they they laid off about half the staff and they stopped all productions. Just so, although there are rumors that they might be interested in starting something up again, um, I've been hearing a little talk here, a little rumor there, nothing definitive. But we'll see what happens. That would be amazing. I mean, if they came to me and asked me, I'm I'm 
ready to go. Yeah, I, that it was it was a great experience, and that'd be wonderful to get back on again. I would think this would be a perfect thing for Amazon, Netflix, uh, something like that, because it you you could add a little bit more adult kind of uh, content or uh, even auditier content. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Than, than you have already. <laughs> you and we were a little limited because being that it was on the science channel, we had to have some kind of science behind the item. Uh, there's some weird stuff out there, which I remember offhand, that they're like, oh, that's an amazing item, but where's the science? You know, it's, it's just right. kind of a weird thing. So, um, you know, with, with uh, another network, another uh, outlet for it, it probably could get even weirder, and, and certain things that maybe weren't a perfect fit for the science channel. It just seemed to me, what I really liked about it was that it seemed to me the kind to be the kind of show where people who just did not fit in anywhere else always fit in at your store. Oh, well, thank you. I, and I we love actually it. heard from a lot of people about that. I mean, some people wear their weirdo on the outside, and some people wear their weirdo on the inside. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very you know, true. And a lot of people said that they can relate to us, to you know me and my business partner Evan on the show, and to us, we're, we, we're people. You know, they can relate to us, and then us relating to these odd, quote-unquote, odd people, these unusual, eclectic, interesting, wonderful people. Um, it's sort of like a gateway, and, and we made it okay to come out of the weirdo closet. You know, it, it's funny, we heard from many people, and still do, that they said, you know, I've always liked this stuff, I've always felt like I was the black sheep of my family or my town or whatever, mm-hmm. and now I sort of show, and thank God there's people out there just like me, and there's quite a few of them, too. I mean, we're... With a lot more of the unusual and interesting people than the normal, you know, it's pretty interesting out there. Well, can I ask Mike? You know, I, I mean, tell. if I could ask one thing real quick, Tom, it's just the fact that you know you go to Minnesota and you go to antique villages here, where there's antique store after antique store and collectible store, but they're all they all seem to carry the same thing. What got you into to going with more of the bizarre and and odd items? Well, I've always been interested in in the oddball stuff. I started collecting actually cameras and photography and stuff like that. And then I started buying stuff to sell to offset my collecting. The more money I had, the more stuff I could collect. But then I started finding things like old sideshow photos, and old circus photos, and old medical photos, and kind of the oddball stuff. And um, it kind of grew out of that. And it's just stuff that I find interesting. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of grandma antiques out there. And, you know, a lot of doilies and, and you know, plates and silverware and, and stuff that's, you know, you know, no offense, it's kind of boring stuff. Um, this stuff is all about, it's the cabinet of curiosities, it's the, the unusual, the interesting, the things you look at, you're like, what is that, and why is that, and who kept that, and where has that been? I mean, a really good piece, should, you should have more questions at the end than when you started with, and that's kind of how I, I based on what I sell and collect, you know, we do medical, do scientific, natural history, but a lot of stuff that doesn't really fit into those, into those niches, but they're, it, it just has a, a look, it has an aesthetic, it just, it makes you wonder. Yeah, Sometimes my, it's also what I call the uh, the, the, the the mental uh, you know friction there. It's it's the attraction repulsion. You look at it, you're like that's interesting, but why? What the? And <laughs> basically, the back and forth between being uh, attracted and repulsed by the same item it just stirs interest in your head. It's my, uh, like good art. Mike, let me. I'm going to come out of the closet. I'm going to come out of the oddity closet right now. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, this is the first time coming. Uh, well, you know, other people may think different that I've been out of the oddity closet. Hold my hand. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll help you through with that. So uh, when I when I was in medical school, the they they all all medical schools, hospitals, or in, uh, the educational programs have stuff in jars, and they have all sorts of yes, all sorts of fetuses, uh, all sorts of stuff in jars. 
And as a result of that, whenever we would go to a natural history museum, I would take my kids and we would always look for the place where they had the stuff in jars because that was the thing we enjoyed the most. So how many things did, what percentage of your sales or collections are in jars? In the jars, and it's sort of the, in the sort of a, sort of the uh, particulate kind of uh, uh, formalin that's really yellow, and it's always, there's always some odd thing in there. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing with the old formalin, and you'll just have like sediment and stuff. <laughs> Often know. people will change them out. You know, once it's in the for, in formalin or formaldehyde and it's thoroughly pickled, you can put alcohol in there, like uh, yeah. isopropyl, rubbing alcohol. Seventy percent is recommended over ninety-one. Uh, the 91, believe it or not, could actually dry out the specimen. There's still some fluid in there. And uh, even though it's in liquid, it could actually uh, pull moisture out of the specimen, so that 70% isopropyl. And the nice thing is it's nice and clear. And again, once that thing is pickled, it's, it's good to go. You don't have to worry about it. Um, I used to have a lot more stuff in jars. I, I've had a few mishaps with jars. Um, <laughs> of course. You have to be careful with jars. Mike, you have to be careful with jars. Oh, yes, you do. Um, I had these monkey heads that I bought, uh, a literal barrel of monkey yeah. Well, there's some monkeys in there, too. But it was like one of those like big like plastic barrels of monkey heads. It was amazing. I came from a breeder down south. I don't know why they kept the heads. I, uh, who knows? Anyway... I had to, you know, I can't want to sell the whole barrel, so I put them in jars and had numerous experiences where, um, actually, one of them was a, a lovely paranormal uh, um, uh, convention out in York, Pennsylvania, which they don't do anymore. But I had my whole cart loaded up. I had a whole bunch of the monkey heads and jars and boxes in the box, and I'm rolling my cart across the floor of the convention uh, you know, room, and I hit a bump, and everything goes flying. And then, of course, oh, I smashed. <laughs> and a puddle of monkey head juices like seeping out of the box. Uh, and so then you're dealing with like, glass shards and monkey head rolling all and, over the place. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, someone actually bought it. They said, "Hey, you know," I said, "Well, it's a lot less expensive now. I mean, the monkey head is still fine, but you're gonna need a new jar." And the dude just ran out to local Walmart or Target, bought a mason jar and some alcohol, and he got a, a discounted monkey head from that. Um, <laughs> I also had a full body, almost the same experience, but in the middle of. Um, uh, a major street in Philadelphia, leaving a tattoo convention. Again, all the stuff in the cart, cart hits a bump, everything goes flying, and this was a full monkey in a really big jar. It must have been over a gallon of um, fluid in this one, and it starts seeping everywhere, and the light <laughs> turns green, and cars started coming. So I quickly have to throw everything on the cart, throw this box with like just tons of fluid coming out of it, back in the thing, and get out of the middle of the street. Um, I prefer taxidermy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd sentiment. be good. Yeah, so we that would have be good. some stuff at the shop, but I, I try to limit it. I'll tell you what, if, if people have never heard of Obscura Antiques and Oddities in New York, if you've never heard of the TV show Oddities, I guarantee you, because a lot of people tune through Discovery Channel, Discovery Science, I guarantee you you've seen Edgar and his promo where he goes, Is that... A straight jacket. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, right. For yeah, see, years, Andy just like for for years, ahead, people come to my shop and just say that. And actually, I don't have a straight jacket in there <laughs> for this reason at the moment. I mean, I get them now and then, but whenever I have one, it's guaranteed. And your oh, time. And what's cool is if you Mike, follow Mike on uh, Facebook. He does videos usually once every couple of weeks where he'll show you all the new finds he's gotten from hitting 
trade shows and and antique swap meets and all that stuff so you can kind of keep an eye on what's going on and you can contact him afterwards if you're interested in getting any of the items oh absolutely yeah, i've been idea. doing that i was doing that on a weekly basis but it all depends i was at a week out of town for the last week but yeah that's to show off the things from flea markets and auctions and state sales and it's uh yeah it, it's been those have been pretty good it actually got to sell a bunch of stuff from those and then i stopped doing it because i got kind of busy with a couple of things and next thing you know everyone's like hey where are the videos so they're back i'll i'll be doing those hopefully on a weekly or you know every other week basis and um yeah well, thanks, we- thanks for mentioning those it's, it's kind of a neat thing we got to get the show back on television it's phenomenal is it in repeats anywhere i, I, yes I think no. it's on youtube Discovery- amazon yeah, Amazon, you can buy the episode. YouTube, believe it or not, has a lot of the episodes and clips on it. Go to YouTube and right. type in oddities. a lot of it there. Uh, ScienceChannel.com or Science.com, I think is their website. They had a whole bunch of it on their website, and then they randomly show it. We usually, I find out because the phone starts buzzing like crazy at the shop, uh, but they'll do oh, marathons yeah. here and there. You know, four oh, episodes, eight it. episodes. Uh, Discovery will show it. Science shows it. Even Destination America, which is owned by Discovery, shows has uh, shown episodes. Mm-hmm. Mike, we have to have you back on more of. I got to talk to you more about obscure oddities. Please do anytime. Obscure antiques and oddities. Mike, thanks yes. for your time today, sir. Thank Mike you very Zone, much. Mike's own, ladies and gentlemen. If you've never seen oddities, you've got to see it. It's a terrific show. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? <laughs> Real nice. Chuck Knobloch. <laughs> Chuck Knobloch. <laughs> Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. We are back on the Tom Bernard Show, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder. Robert Crane, our special guest, the son of Bob Crane. Hogan's Heroes, of course. Um, it's interesting reading your bio, Robert, and I do want to get back to the uh, 
back to the story at hand, but a lot of a lot of trauma and tragedy in your life, whether it be your father or John Candy or people that you really thought a great deal of. Uh, I, you've had some pretty pretty rough waters to swim uh, throughout your life, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. There, there have been some uh, curves in the road, as they say, but uh, just keep going. You know, you, you have to make uh, uh, choices all the time. We always, all of us, come to the forks in the road, and you know, you got to keep the going along on the on the right fork and the, the one that where you try not to repeat mistakes over and over and over. So that that's what I've followed. Uh, but yeah, every, everybody has deaths in their family and mm-hmm. um, and friends and. And that you know, the older I'm getting, of course, there's more and more. But uh, just keep going, keep laughing. Uh, I mentioned my uh, stepdad Chuck earlier. He just turned ninety. God bless him. And he, you know, he's been on this whole sordid road with me now for the past forty years uh, re- uh, regarding my dad's case. You know, it's amazing. It, uh, I. Um one of my favorite uncles, as a matter of fact, was murdered. He was thrown off a building when I was 13 years old. Oh, God. And I remember yeah. going through that whole deal, and I, uh, the thing that bothered me the most about a Robert, to tell you the truth, my uncle's name was Augie. He was a really good guy, and he got mixed up with the wrong crowd, as they say. Yeah. Uh, I think he pissed off the wrong person. And yeah. uh, he was a big guy. He was about 6'3", probably about you know 220 pounds, something like that. Uh, he he had a driver, this young woman who was his driver, but he never had a job, so I could never figure out what that was all about. <laughs> so all of a sudden he turns up, and and I'll never forget his funeral. We're at his funeral, and I and I don't go to funerals because of this. Uh, I don't like funerals because there's my uncle dead in the in the casket, and one of my relatives leaned over and kissed him on the lips. Ooh. And I went, yeah. okay, that's that's yeah. gonna do it for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, murder is different, though. You know, having people die in your in your your life and in your family—that's a different feeling. The murder part is that feels like I I sh- I understand Robert how that does feel. It, it wasn't my father; it was my uncle. But still, murder is a whole different way to lose somebody. It is. It, it's shocking. And, uh, of course, uh, I'm sure like your family, my family was uh, ill-prepared for this. This was something that you just saw in the news happen to other people. Right. And then uh, when it finally happened to us, or not finally, when it happened to us, uh, it's a shock to this day. You know, we're coming up on 40 years since he uh, died. And we, my family doesn't talk about it. I don't, I don't have a... Uh, talkative family where we all sit down in a circle and hold hands or anything uh, <laughs> okay. so that's why that's why i wrote a book yeah it makes total sense now i will say this while i do share the loss of a, a relative a close relative to murder my uncle was not a celebrity so that's another part of this that's a burden yeah. for you right right yeah um you know i've got the the same first and last name I, we have different middle names mm-hmm. but um so uh, you know right after it was pretty fresh i mean uh you know i'd use a charge card on you know at a dinner or something and oh, yeah. one time a you know a guy in mexico hey i thought you were dead <laughs> oh god <laughs> you know, and needless to say i didn't go back to that restaurant but uh oh, man. you know 
but you know things like that happen yeah things like that do happen it's it's unfortunate it, the whole thing is uh i do have to mention one thing that, that, that you being on your career writing for for we magazine correct yeah we magazine, the late great We magazine. The late yes. great We magazine. I tell a magnificent story. Uh, at least I find it magnificent. Most people do. <laughs> I was doing iron work when I was in my early twenties. I was an iron worker, and iron workers are pretty, some pretty tough guys. Maybe some of them, not all of them, but some of them might not be the smartest people on earth. I go in the construction trailer to have lunch, and there's this big guy in there, and he's reading this magazine. Uh, and I said what's this then what do you got there and he goes ah it's this, this new uh, you know girly magazine i said oh yeah what's it called and he turns it over looks at the cover and goes oink <laughs> I, said, I said what he goes yeah it's like oink magazine i said let me see the cover i said it's we oui. it means yes in french it's not oink there's no n there's no k i will never forget that as long as i live oink oh, magazine very good so you worked for, I don't know if you know this, Robert, but you worked for Oink Magazine, and then yes. you, uh, you worked for Playboy, interviewing uh, celebrities, the Chevy Chase, Bruce Stern, Joan Rivers of the World. By the way, Joan Rivers, one of the greatest losses in comedy ever. I adored her. Oh, she's very funny. I mean, yep. you know what, uh, just didn't have boundaries in terms of who she went out. I mean, she went after her husband, you know, Edgar. Edgar. You know, uh, didn't matter to her, and, you know, you either... I, I know some people who did not appreciate her humor. I, I think it was one of those things. You either got on her train or you didn't, you know. But, uh, yeah, she was very funny. God, I, was, I thought she was just absolutely wonderful. And I interviewed her about 50 different times. Oh, and wow. She was just fantastic every time. Very, very funny. Very yep. giving. It wasn't like, hurry up, let's get this over with. It wasn't like that ever at all. No. No, very sweet. Very, very nice. sweet woman. She was a very, very sweet woman, as a matter of fact. Yeah. It's one of yeah. the reasons I, I started hating social media and commentary in newspapers, because when she died uh, in the comments section of the uh, local newspaper, somebody wrote, thank God she's finally dead. Uh, yeah. Why? Well, you know, yeah. I don't care how much I dislike a performer. I'm not going to write, thank God they're dead. What the hell's wrong yeah. with you? I know. Now. I know. The book, Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder. So the murder is still unsolved. They, that uh, yeah. Mr. Carpenter, John Carpenter, he, went, he came and went and came and went and came and went. How did that thing end up? Well, uh, the Scottsdale Police Department, uh, Scottsdale in Arizona, uh, ill-prepared for murder. Mm -hmm. uh, they were averaging, what I heard, about two murders a year in 1978, and totally ill-prepared for a celebrity, quote-unquote, oh, yeah. murder. Oh, yeah. Uh, it took uh, 14 years, oh, excuse me, 16 years, 16 years, to get Carpenter to a trial, and that went through three DAs, God. And numerous detectives and, you know, what have you. And they, they finally took him to trial, and he was acquitted. Uh, the jury just felt there was not enough presented by the prosecution. Um, and uh, that was 1994, and he passed away, Carpenter passed away uh, in 98, mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. So he was acquitted. Uh, why did they think in the in the beginning? Because he was a friend of your father's, wasn't he? Of 
quote-unquote friend, yeah. Right, he, he started right. out uh, as the local uh, uh, video salesperson. Now, we have to go back to 1965 okay. when Hogan started filming, and Richard Dawson, uh, Newkirk, the English guy in the sure, show, yep. uh, bought a reel-to-reel uh, half-inch video tape deck from Sony, and the salesperson was John Carpenter. So my dad saw this, and he said, oh, God, i got to get one of these. It's a reel-to-reel deck. It's a camera and a monitor. So that was the selfie of the day. The selfie right, back in 1965 right. was to check yourself out on the monitor and be recording it with your, your camera. And, uh, you know, and of course it was used for all uh, sorts of mischief by different people, including my dad. But it started out as the new home movie. You know, the Christmas opening the presents right, and, right. you know, that kind of stuff. It started off very legitimately, but then people, uh, like they do now with their uh, cell phones, uh, you know, use it for other uh, photos and other situations. They do use it for other situations. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a fan of Hogan's Heroes, I thought that show was phenomenal. I do, I love the fact that the guys playing the Nazis, particularly Colonel Klink, I believe uh, Colonel Klink, the the actor was Jewish, and he just yes. loved playing Colonel Klink as a moron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know, when it got some criticism early on because some of the reviewers were. Uh, uh, mixing a prisoner of war camp with a concentration camp. Uh, this was a prisoner of war camp. They, these are all prisoners right. uh, from the uh, you know different fo- allied forces. Uh, y- your reference to Jewish people, many of the cast, many of the writers, directors, producers were Jewish. Right. Uh, Robert Clary, who played LeBeau, the Lebeau. French guy, yeah. still had the, the numbers not still, he had the numbers tattooed on his arm. He was in a concentration camp during God. World War II. So, uh, you know, when they when they criticized it first, they were the reviewers, some of them, didn't know what they were talking about. Um, and these two kind of camps are very different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, so this great show lasted six seasons, I believe, correct? Yes, uh, sixty-five through seventy-one. Sixty-five through seventy-one, and then, the original run, but it's still it's still playing. Oh God, yes, it's still on. Yeah. You know, that's what I I do love. That's one thing I love about one thousand channels is you can pretty much find it. If you want to watch something, you can find it. Yeah, there's no yeah. question about that. So so while this is on, while while this is how old are you? Uh, while Hogan's Heroes is is uh, playing on television. Uh, Let's see. I am thirteen through nineteen. So, pretty important time of your life. I mean, that's a very, very yeah. big deal for a teenager to have. Your father yeah. was a very big star. I mean, everybody watched yeah. Hogan's Heroes. Yes. Yeah, and that was Tom. That was also back in the days of uh, you, you mentioned a thousand channels. This is three networks. Right. Know, it's ABC, NBC, and CBS. Yep. Those are your choices. So they used to get uh, you know on the on the hit shows back then. You would get 30 million people watching yes. you every week. God. Uh, you know, which is huge. 
Oh, it's huge. Uh, uh, nowadays, I think uh, you talk about the nighttime talk shows and all the rest of it. Now, you know, sports still does very well on television. Uh, a big, big TV show now, and I mean the biggest of the big, is going to do about 9 to $10 million. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hogan's Heroes did, you know, 30, 40 million. I know that uh, uh, Robin Williams, what was the name of that series he had at the very. Mork. Mork, Mork, yeah, Mork, and, Mork Mindy. and Mindy. 70 million people watched that show uh, off and on. Wow. So that's wow. how much it's changed. Now, a talk show, the Jimmy Kimmel, uh, uh, those shows maybe do 1.5 million viewers. Yeah. That's about yeah. it. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. So you're 13 to 19 years old. Your dad's a, a very big deal, talented guy. Uh, everybody knows you because your name is Robert Crane. His name is Bob Crane. Yeah. Uh, and so in 1971, it ends. Are you in college at that point? I am. Yes, I, I went to USC uh, film school. Oh, you did uh, excellent. So you wanted to get into directing, producing. You want to get into acting. What did you want to do? Uh, yeah, I wanted to be behind the scenes. I, I knew I, I didn't have the chops for acting like my dad did, um, and I, I wanted to be behind the scenes, you know, uh, just what you said, writing or directing or, you know, w- shaping a, f- a film or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had about, your father died in 1978, so for seven years the show ends, did he want to do more acting? Did he want to do more television? Did he want to do movies? What, what, did, what did your father want to do? Do you know that? Yeah, he, he wanted to uh, continue with, uh, you know, a, maybe another series. Uh, he did a couple of movies for Disney, which were not very good. Um, I, I think he was more of a television person. He mm-hmm. also kept doing radio. He, he, his career jockey, started yeah. in radio. Yep. And uh, he was he went back to doing um, occasional specials for uh, L.A. Station just for the fun of it because he loved it so much. Uh, he did get another shot at a TV series uh, for Mary Tyler Moore's company, but it was not very good. It was called The Bob Crane Show, mm-hmm. and it lasted uh, 13 episodes. It was... Yeah, it wasn't great. It just was what it was. We come back in a couple of minutes. I want to ask you about, you find out your father's dead. What happens after that? Be okay. right back. More with Robert Crane and Tom Bernardo. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more. And please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. It's Tom telling you that you can lose an average of 26.2 pounds on the 40-day weight loss program powered by Nutramost. I lost 92.5 pounds in less than five months. Thanks to the Sheehy Brothers and the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost. And I encourage you to let them help you lose weight as they teach you how to stay healthy and keep that weight off. Take it from me. Having a coach keeps you accountable and it makes achieving your goals so much easier. Let the Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost help you. Schedule your immediate consultation or attend the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, August 19th at Jake's in Plymouth. Call now, 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. 
Study data comes from clients submitted data to a third party for tracking of daily weight loss and progress is new to most weight loss programs. See website for full disclaimer details. Boy, they all said. Robert Crane, our special guest on the Tom Bernard Show. Robert, I was just thinking during the break there that uh, you know when the story came out that your father had been. Uh, been filming, videotaping his uh, and photographing his sexual escapades. That somebody went, "Oh my God! Oh, that's so horrible!" And shortly after that, not very long after that, it became the thing to do. And now, of course, if you don't have a sex uh, sex tape up on the internet, then I guess you're kind of a loser. <laughs> how do, how did things change so much? Because people were shocked that he would. Oh my God! He he videotaped his sexual escapades. I mean, what was he thinking? Yeah. Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, you know, he was Colonel Hogan. He was the all-American guy. Yep. Who? Yeah, was that's true. Supposed to be apple pie and you know all that. Secondly, and I think most importantly, um, the. He loved still photography, he loved video tape, he loved film, whatever. And he, you know, we made uh, home movies as kids with him. You know, we did a, I was a teenager for the FBI and had sound and special effects. And all. He just loved that. Where he went wrong was uh, he started to videotape uh, women that he was with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was consensual sex from everything I've heard. Uh, there was no no drugs, no coercion, no any of that. Right. They wanted to be there because it was a treat to they thought to be with Colonel Hogan. You know, he's on the road somewhere, and and he loved women, and he probably shouldn't have been married. Uh, he was married twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem was these videos that he made were private. They were for his use and the woman that he was with, they were not supposed to be shown. What went wrong was that after he passed away, uh, his second wife, who he, uh, Patty, who he was in the middle of divorcing, took all this stuff, and when the internet exploded, oh, yeah. put them out on the internet. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Patty. Yeah, sounds like he'd along. You get along with Patty really well. Sounds like uh, I did initially in their marriage, just because I, you know, you're you right. You supportive try. of your dad and all that, and yep. then it, she basically had no room for anybody from his first family, which was, yeah, uh, you know, my family, uh, and everybody kind of fell to the wayside. And uh, right. Yeah, she she is also no no longer with us. She passed away in '07. But I always thought uh, I asked the DA's office in the Scottsdale Police Department to investigate her. I mean, she right. was, she was the right. person who gained anything by his death. Uh, they were in the middle of divorce proceedings, and uh, she got uh, you know a, a nice house in Westwood by UCLA, she got some life insurance policies, you know, it was not a million, multi-million dollar fortune, but it was very comfortable for its day in 1978, Right, and she got it all, nobody else got a dime. Right, exactly, so now you find out, and you're 19, 
well, let's see. Now, now, how old were you? So you were 27 when your father died? 27, yeah. Yeah, you're 27. So you find out, and then you find out that she, you know, that, that these videotapes are out there. And what is your opinion? Why was he killed? Do you have any idea who killed him? He said at first you thought maybe Patty was involved, and who knows, maybe she was. Is there any clear understanding of what happened? Well, the, the means and opportunity, as they say on these uh, the police procedural shows, which mm-hmm. my wife and I watch all the time, yeah. uh, fell to John Carpenter. He was in Scottsdale at the time of my dad's death. He had flown in there, uh, you know, on a quote-unquote business trip. He was still selling, you know, video wear. Uh, so he would visit a city where my dad was doing a play, and they would party along for a couple of days, and then he would come back to L.A. So he was there. Uh, my dad was two weeks short of 50, which was uh, back in 78 was a big deal, 50 years old. Now I guess, you know, 70 is the new 50 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was making changes in his life. He was getting divorced. He was buying a, a house in L.A., and he told me that John Carpenter had become a burden, uh, to be blunt, a pain in the ass, in my dad's words. Right. Uh, he wanted to uh, hang her on. It was just, uh, he was tired of it. And I think uh, if, you know, it, it points to Carpenter, uh, it makes sense. He was there. The weapon apparently was a tripod, camera tripod, which... Somebody like Carpenter would think of, uh, and it's also missing, by the way. They, they never found it, uh, but that was the, the weapon. Um, that would go to Carpenter. So why was he found innocent of this? Uh, or not guilty, I guess is a better way to put it. Why, yeah, why? I, guess, I guess 16 years later, after the fact, mm-hmm. the, uh, the prosecution did the best they could with what they had. Uh, again, this was pre-DNA testing. Right. Um, and the Scottsdale Police Department had bungled uh, many aspects of the case, including uh, evidence uh, procuring and, and you know, and, and keeping track of things were lost. Photos were lost. Evidence was lost. You know, it, it was bad. It was, it was Andy and, and Barney Fife. Um, and... Uh, that was, that's what was handed to the prosecution team. And they tried. They did the best they could. I, I, I took the stand one day to uh, basically tell the jury what I just told you about Carpenter mm-hmm. uh, and the changes in my dad's life. And I, I looked at the jury. They wouldn't even look at me. I mean, I, I thought, uh-uh, this is a loser, a complete loser. They're, they're not buying anything that the prosecution is selling them. They're almost kind of bored by this, all the talk of sex tapes and all that. Yeah, right, right. It's not, it's not, it's not going well. What? And uh, there, three weeks later, uh, or it might have been six weeks. I'm, I'm off, but um, yeah, they acquitted them. They just didn't have enough beyond a reasonable doubt. It kind of amazed me watching that whole thing go on, and you know, when your father died, and and. It seemed to me the media went out of their way to try to paint your father as a bad guy for some reason. Why do yeah. you think that happened? Well, again, I, I think it was a, a feeling of a betrayal 
you know, by Colonel Hogan. How could how could yeah. our trusted Colonel Hogan do this to us? You know, fool us like this. He's really not Colonel Hogan. Well, uh, basically, he was Colonel Hogan. I mean, that that was right. the role he was born to play. He was a great dad in terms of uh, just. He would be like Hogan. Okay, this is what we're doing today. You know, making the plans. Okay, kids, we're <laughs> making this movie. You know, we're gonna. Da, da, you know, or we're playing baseball today. We're going to the park. You know, we're going to a Dodger game, and it was fun. He was just a fun-loving guy. Uh, as I said earlier, probably should not have been married, though. Yeah, it but, does but happen. A, but a great dad, fun. Yeah, I, I just I, I do remember seeing that whole thing. Do you think? How odd that is, because you know your father's a very handsome guy, very charming guy. He's playing a role. He's doing his job. Uh, I got to believe, compared to the sexual problems that Hollywood's having today with men doing whatever they feel like doing, your father yeah. looked like a hero. Yeah, yeah. I, again, uh, from everything I've heard of, about him, it was he. He loved women. He had an appreciation of women. Right. Beyond objectivity, he actually had conversations with women. Uh, he worked with women, women, um, but he liked to engage in sex with mm -hmm. women mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes record it, you know. And uh, so, yeah, compared to some of the people we've read about today, uh, you know, there was no drugs. There was no coercion, There, you know. He didn't have to pay off people. It didn't happen from what I know. So, Robert, for you now, all these years later, it's 40 years later, yeah. um, are you doing what you want to do? Have you have you achieved what you want to achieve? Are there things you'd still like to do? Well, I, I've been writing. You, you alluded to uh, some of the magazines earlier. Yes. Uh, I've, I've been writing for magazines. I've written some other books as well. And uh, I love writing. Uh, I love being behind the scenes. I don't like being in front of a camera, per se, like, like my dad did. Uh, so, yes, in, in, in terms of uh, writing and writing with some other people, uh, it's been fun, and I, I've really enjoyed it, and I do enjoy it. I think it's a wonderful thing. I appreciate all your time today because oh, thanks, I'm in a situation where when, when the show hit the air, I was 13 years old. So I tune in and I'm watching the show. I think this show is absolutely hilarious because of, you know, Sergeant Schultz and Colonel Clink and oh, yeah. the way these guys just took advantage of these moron Nazis. It was a wonderful idea. Uh, and I think uh, Gilbert Gottfried did the best job of all uh, talking about. The, have you ever heard Gilbert Gottfried do the bit on pitching Hogan's Heroes? No. Oh, God, no. Gilbert Gottfried does this wonderful thing. He goes, I've got an idea for a TV show. We'll get Robert Crane. We'll get Bob Crane. We'll get a bunch of other people. Uh, it's going to take place during World War II. It's going to be a Nazi concentration camp. It's a comedy. <laughs> Hey, that, that's a pretty good Godfrey. That's okay, but yeah. that line, it's a comedy. Yes, a Nazi concentration camp comedy. Yeah. Just well, think about it. You know the original pitch, Tom. Uh Albert Ruddy and uh, Bernie Fine, the creators of the show, their original pitch was to ABC, and it took place in a federal prison. 
Oh, so it wasn't going to be a concentration yeah. camp. No. So that's loads of laughs. That is interesting. And then turned down, down on that. And then with, you know, the, the uh, memory of Stalag 17, the movie from the 50s, yep, and yep. The Great Escape, and Von Ryan's Express with Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. they tweaked it and they borrowed a little bit here and there and uh, came up with the heroes, the heroes. They filmed the pilot uh, in black and white, and it was the last pilot to be filmed that season and the first one to sell for CBS. And then they said, well, we got we got to, you know, make it around a person. Who else can it be but Hogan? Mm-hmm. So they call it Hogan's Heroes. Magnificent. I love the show. I, I I found it very, very funny. Your father was a charming guy. I'm sorry for your loss after all these years. 40 years later, it's still, look, I, I'm not his son, but I still miss Hogan's Heroes, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, it's just how I feel. It, it made me very happy as a young teenage kid, and and I'm sorry for your loss, and I, I appreciate all your time. Fantastic of you to spend all this time with us today. Oh, thanks, Tom. Continued success, and uh, I'm sorry for your loss, too, that well, you talked about. Thank you very much, Robert. Robert Crane. Okay. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Bye. Now, have you ever seen the show, Molina? Yeah. Andy, have you seen it? I have not, actually. You've never seen I'm Hogan's I'm familiar Heroes. with it, though. Yeah, you're familiar with it. You've never seen the show, though. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's actually very, very funny. <laughs> I mean, it takes place in a Nazi concentration camp, and it's a comedy. I mean, it's, it is pretty interesting. But, yeah, it's one of those situations where now, if his father, 40 years later, or even, let's say, 10 years ago, so 30 years later, was doing what he was doing, he'd have been a big hero. He'd have been the Kardashians, you know? Uh... Uh, they did the best. Look, you have to understand something. What he was doing was filming people. Uh, everybody gave their consent, from what I understand, and everybody was involved, and they wanted to be there. Uh, he was a star, and Bob Crane's a very handsome guy. And in the Kardashians' case, where everybody thinks they're just wonderful and squeaky clean and multi, multi, multi millionaires, their own mother sold the sex tape of her daughter to gain fame. So who's worse? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Yes pretty clear that the the world has changed quite a bit. But Robert Crane, what a nice guy. Hell of a nice guy.